we interviewing Kedar Gore, who is the executive director of the Corporate Foundation. The Corporate Foundation is one of India's oldest and largest wildlife conservation NGOs. So welcome, Kedar. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Anish. It's my pleasure too. Thank you for having me on the podcast. How did the Corbett Foundation come into being? Well, the Corbett Foundation was founded in 1994 by a very well-known industrialist of India, uh, late uh, Shridharib D. Khatau. Uh, he, he was the founder chairman and uh, he loved wildlife. Uh, uh, and, you know, he, he was passionate about uh, exploring the wilderness areas, uh, across India and mainly his uh, his love for uh, the Corbett landscape, the Corbett National Park and the surrounding forest in his areas. So when um, he decided that there should be uh, uh, an NGO that would create an interface between uh, you know the local communities and uh, the forest department, uh, basically that where this NGO can play uh, a role of a facilitator, a catalyzer, uh, or a bridge where the needs of the local communities are uh, taken care of at the same time, uh, conservation of uh, large mammals and other wildlife should also be not compromised. So we have always uh, worked using the principle that a holistic approach to conservation is something that is absolutely important. When we look at any uh, conservation landscape, uh, unless we involve the local communities, it's impossible to plan any kind of conservation program. Uh, so in 1994, uh, this Corbett Foundation came into being uh, from outside the Corbett National Park, and therefore the name uh, Corbett Foundation was given. However, uh, eventually the programs of the Corbett Foundation spread in other areas, and today, as we talk, we are in six states of the country, uh, in Maharashtra, in, in uh, Madhya Pradesh, in Assam, Gujarat, uh, Manipur. So uh, yet the Corbett Foundation name uh, is still there. It, it sometimes uh, works as a misnomer for us because people don't understand why, why somebody uh, working in Corbett uh, Tiger Reserve is trying to do something in Madhya Pradesh. But now, after th- three decades of work, People know us well, and uh, we have demonstrated many successful models of uh, conservation. One species the Corbett Foundation is working with is the Great Indian Bustard. What makes this species so unique, and why is it so critically endangered? Well, the Great Indian Bustard, firstly, uh, it's uh, practically uh, endemic to the Indian subcontinent. Uh, most of the population today exists in India. Some some of the birds are also present in Pakistan. Now, this is one of the uh, beautiful birds, uh, a large bird, almost weighing up to 14 to 15 kgs. Uh, if, if we say that this is the largest uh, 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 flying bird of Indian grasslands, uh, that would be true because uh, the Great Indian Bustard is a species of grasslands. It does not occur in any of the forest areas. It is very, very specific to grasslands or semi-desert areas or semi-arid areas where there are no large trees and uh, only grasses and scrubland 
is, is the habitat that is preferred by the great Indian mustard. Now, there, because of uh, its uh, habits of being present in the grassland, uh, this bird has been a subject of uh, hunting for many, many years. In fact, in British's time, a uh, lot of birds were being hunted. And, uh, and, and due to this, uh, the once uh, highly populated great Indian bustard, uh, the population of these birds like, uh, you know, started dwindling over the period of year, uh, several years. Uh, as uh, when when uh, India got independence, there were about uh, 1,200 odd uh, great busters remaining. But even after that, uh, the the uh, hunting of these birds continued. Uh, this added to the loss of habitat because, uh, as as I said, this is a grassland bird, and in India, unfortunately, most of the natural grasslands are categorized as revenue wastelands, and uh, if and any revenue-based land is the first area that is given away for any kind of developmental project. So without realizing that we are compromising on the uh, real grassland ecosystems on which great Indian bustards and several other species depend on. So once that is done, a uh, lot of such habitats started uh, going away for developmental work and uh, their range started uh, depleting they, they started restricting themselves to some areas, some pockets in India, and this uh, seriously compromised their uh, conservation uh, in future. Now, in the last two years, uh, uh, sorry, last two decades, uh, the biggest problem the Great Indian Bustards are facing is the uh, their deaths due to collision with uh, power line infrastructure that is laid in Rajasthan and Kutch, Gujarat, which is the which are the two main. Uh, prime areas where the great Indian bustards have some future in uh, in India. <clears throat> and today, as we speak, there are less than 100 birds remaining in the entire world. So this makes it extremely uh, important for us to conserve it if we want to really prevent the extinction of the great Indian bustards. So that's the reason it is critically endangered. And uh, uh, government of India is also implementing several programs to make sure that the Great Indian Bustard conservation uh, is successful and we can prevent its extinction. And that's the reason even Corporate Foundation has chosen to work uh, with the species in, in Pashkishra. So what is the Corporate Foundation doing to conserve the Great Indian Bustard? Uh, so Anish, as I said, uh, the, the biggest uh, threat today for the Great Indian Bustards is the deaths due to power line collision. And uh, and that has been recognized by not only by us, but even institutes like Wildlife Institute and many other organizations that are working in the country. Uh, so right from grassroots level conservation to uh, policy level interventions, we have, uh, you know, we attempt, we have attempted several, uh, several uh, conservation actions that we believe would lead to uh, prevention of the extinction of the great industry. Now, if we talk of uh, policy level actions, the one thing that we have done uh, is that we have uh, petitioned the Honorable Supreme Court of India, uh, wherein we and a, a few other uh, uh, dedicated conservationists of this country, uh, we have appealed uh, to the Supreme Court to uh, ensure that the uh, extinction of the Great Indian Bustard and Lesser Florican is prevented. And one of the things 
that has come out of this petition that is still going on in the court. But uh, the couple of orders that we have received has clearly stated in the, that the power line infrastructure that is created in Rajasthan and Gujarat uh, in potential and priority areas of Great Mustard uh, must go underground and wherever it is not feasible to go underground, their bird diverters have to be fitted. So uh, we are hoping that this is followed in letter and spirit by the companies that uh, are implementing these projects uh, so that we together as a country uh, ensure that these critically endangered birds uh, do not disappear from the earth. In addition to this, uh, we are working with the local communities in Kutch, uh, where uh, we are practicing uh, coexistence, which has been our uh, motto, I would say, the vision and mission of the public foundation, the coexistence of human and wildlife, uh, wherein we have demonstrated some projects where uh, we have we are working with the local communities by uh, restoring their uh, common grazing lands, by removing invasive species, and you know promoting local grasses, which has which has shown some very great results. So it has not only been helpful to the local uh, uh, birds that are there. It is also helpful to uh, the the livestock that is being reared by these villages. So it's a win-win situation. We have demonstrated that this project works and it can be replicated uh, and scaled up. In the Kutch region, uh, the Corbett Foundation is also working to tackle the problem of feral dogs. Why are feral dogs such a menace for wildlife, and what is TCF doing to tackle this issue? Feral, feral dogs is a very, very critical issue. And, uh, well, we should call them free-ranging dogs, actually, not feral dogs. Uh, these, and not only in Kutch, but, you know, everywhere in wilderness landscapes across India, uh, there have been several uh, records documented where uh, these free-ranging dogs have been, uh, have been a huge threat, threat to the local wildlife whether it is a great bustard or, uh, you know, the foxes there or, you know, any ground-dwelling bird, even large mammals such as spotted deer, sambar, nilgai, there have been several, several instances where uh, free-ranging dogs have formed packs and they have started attacking these animals. And uh, so this wasn't a threat maybe uh, 20, 30 years ago. However, with the increase in dog population, uh, this this is a very serious issue which we all need to look at. Now, when we did this in Kutch, we wanted to demonstrate uh, that again, tree ranging dogs is a is a problem. And since we uh, there is a Supreme Court order that prohibits any kind of culling of stray dogs, uh, we we said that okay, we we must uh, sterilize the dogs so that at least for in future the population of these stray dogs, uh, tree ranging dogs, do not increase. <clears throat> so this is a uh, a problem, and uh, that's the reason we we did a small project in Kutch for a couple of years. However, we could not sustain it because uh, it requires a lot of funds, and we were running short of funds for that. So another project the Corbett Foundation is working with is the Satpura Tiger Landscape Program. So could you elaborate a bit about this program? So Satpura Landscape Tiger Partnership is. Uh, in short form is SLTP. It's a very unique uh, uh, 
collaboration and partnership that has been going on in the centennial landscape for last two decades. Uh, the Bonfrey Foundation of UK uh, is, is the main uh, uh, funding uh, body who, who started this program and who uh, slowly, slowly brought in the local, uh, uh, and I would say the regional uh, NGOs that are working in the landscape. So as we talked today, there are about eight uh, partners that are working together across the landscape. Uh, which uh, which is in Maharashtra as well as in Madhya Pradesh, and uh, excellent body of work has uh, happened in 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 so many areas, and it's it's wonderful to uh, be together in this uh, this partnership along with many other uh, NGOs that are doing exceptionally good work uh, as far as tiger conservation is concerned. Again. Uh, as we talk of tiger conservation or any kind of conservation, uh, most of the work today is always uh, to be done at a grassroots level and involving the local community. So if you look at the mainly the programs uh, that are implemented as a part of the SLTP, uh, local community uh, is always uh, at the center and uh, any program that is done is uh, involving the local community making sure that their uh, life is less dependent on the forest resources so that we are able to control the human uh, wildlife negative interactions uh, because that is the key uh, of any kind of conservation if if there are people venturing into the forest and if they are being attacked or killed by uh, wild animals or if people are harming the wild animals because my animals are coming to eat their farms or you know, venturing close to their homes, it is always creating uh, a situation which can turn to be very, very hostile in the long run. And therefore, uh, uh, addressing human-wildlife negative interactions is one of the key elements that SLTP uh, is working on. In addition to that, uh, there are policy-level interventions that many other NGOs are also doing as a part of the SLTP. And we are, we are proud uh, to be a part of this for the last 10 years. So you mentioned engaging local communities. So the Corbett Foundation is also working on an alternative livelihood project. So could you talk a bit about this project? So it's not one project uh, that we have been working on uh, because alternative livelihood is, is a program that uh, is a part of many of our uh, projects because uh, see the thing is, uh, if we have to look at local community needs, uh, we have to take a very holistic approach. Now, uh, if if there are people living, uh, legitimately living in uh, in our PAs, buffer areas of our PAs, they will have some dependency on the forest. Their, uh, their uh, youngsters would be going in the school and then the college. And then they also have aspirations to, uh, to work uh, to support their families. And what we realize is because they are living in forest areas, the opportunities that they get are quite limited. So uh, our efforts are to always uh, try and create as many uh, sustainable livelihood or options for them so that you know they, we don't again create a situation where uh, the local youth are uh, 
have to go to the urban areas uh, to earn their livelihood. No, we are, what we are trying is they can be in their homes, near their homes, and yet, uh, you know, earn a very respectable livelihood and support their families. So, and that in the long run will definitely uh, support conservation efforts because, uh, you know, unless youth, uh, the energy that, the enormous energy that the youth has, if it is not channelized in a proper way, then, you know, we can we can end up in a very, very critical situation. So we are quite aware of this fact and therefore uh, we are working with the local uh, youth members, local women, SGs, and, uh, you know, anything that we think that can earn a respectable livelihood for uh, the local communities, uh, we make sure that uh, those opportunities are, uh, you know, the the opportunities reach to this uh, to the local uh, community, then uh, if we can facilitate by way of providing trainings or by providing uh, financial resources to get this done, we are taking our efforts to do that. So the COVID Foundation has also worked on an, on an extensive Amur Falcon campaign. So could you just talk about this project and the history of Amur falcon hunting and conservation in the northeast regions of India. So Amur falcon is a is a migratory bird and uh, it passes over India as a passage migrant. Uh, so there are certain areas in the northeast, uh, for example, Nagaland and Tamil Nadu, where uh, you know large congregation of Amur falcons, uh, Amur falcon takes place in the month of October, November. Uh, so, we have been uh, working in Tamenglong district of uh, Manipur state, uh, which is a beautiful hilly area, uh, uh, ex- extremely good forest. And this is the area where uh, the Amur falcons on their, uh, on their migratory journeys, they stop over for a month or so. And, uh, you know, that's the time when uh, the local uh, people used to hunt them uh, and, and in large numbers. And this happened in Nagaland as well. Uh, uh, and not only the Corbett Foundation, but there are many other organizations who have, uh, you know, played a major role in uh, working with the local communities uh, and, you know, uh, working with them, telling them that killing of Hamur falcons is not the solution. I mean, they may earn... Uh, some, you know, they may kill the birds and, you know, it may be good for their pot. However, uh, retaining the population of Amur falcon can turn into a, a very profitable livelihood for them. So this is a, this is a message that uh, we and many of the NGOs have conveyed to the local youth there. And uh, this has worked wonders. I mean, uh, there are many <clears throat> youth groups who have uh, started taking part in uh, Amur Falcon uh, tourism. There are a lot of, lot of uh, tourists who, uh, and photographers who come to these areas and they they like to watch Amur Falcons in large numbers. And these, these youth then can play a role of an, uh, a role of nature guides and, you know, they can run uh, homestays and, you know, any, and then they, they can, they can, invest in any kind of tourism infrastructure that will earn them a very, very respectable livelihood and this can be sustainable. 
and this is happening this is happening in nagaland this is happening to an extent in tamil nadu as well it will take time however uh, the, the people have realized that killing is not the solution at, at all so conserving is something that people uh, have realized that it will pay them in the long run and i'm sure this will this will catch on in the years to come so moving on to your special initiatives the corporate foundation is working on grassland restoration why are grasslands under such severe threats in india and what or why why must we conserve these grasslands so uh, as i said earlier anish that uh, grassland ecosystems have been neglected in india for many many years and many of the natural grasslands are still categorized as revenue wastelands and uh, and and then they are given away for any kind of developmental work without realizing that they are functional ecosystems a very important ecosystems now when we talk of grasslands uh, there are very unique uh, species that are dependent on the grasslands for example we have talked of great indian mustard we also mentioned about the lesser florican now these these two species <clears throat> we cannot imagine them to be a part of corvid tiger reserve or you know in somewhere in dense forest areas which are already part of the protected area network but they they have to be in the grasslands because that is their habitat that is where they breed that is where they feed on and there are many other species not only these two species these are just i would say uh, representatives of many other species that depend on a functional grassland ecosystem uh, so in india there are several Uh, uh types of ecosystems we have forests we have grasslands we have deserts we have wetlands and you know so on and so forth and all these ecosystems are important so generally what happens is when we talk of conservation uh unfortunately uh we only talk generally we only talk of forest conservation and where we have large mammals such as tigers and leopards and elephants and so on but we tend to neglect uh subconsciously or consciously in areas like the uh, you know grassland ecosystems where uh, which are equally important from the point of view of carbon sequestration and uh, playing a major role in in sustaining the local uh, uh, biodiversity there so we have uh, as i said demonstrated uh, restoration of these grasslands because many of the grassland areas because they have been neglected they have uh, been completely covered with invasive species such as prosopis uh, prosopis juliflora and others so and once these invasive species come up uh, the 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 main grasses that are there are completely covered and engulfed and they are out of bound for the local uh, local uh, biodiversity there so uh firstly uh, removal of this uh, invasive species has to be taken on a large scale and uh, once that is done the you know the resilience of the local uh, local ecosystem is is great and the grasslands will come up on their own if we if we assist with uh, uh, sowing of grass seeds and all that will be even faster so that's what we have done in in uh, village college kanapur in kutch where almost 55 acres of uh community grazing land has been totally restored 
with the help of the local communities. I mean, we we only played the role of a facilitator and initially as a funder to some of our funding programs. Uh, but the entire credit will go and must go to the local community because they have they have realized that uh, restoration of these uh, the common grazing lands is in their benefit. And their livestock are benefiting at the same time, the local, uh, the birds that are there, that are taking uh, great advantage of the restoration work that is done. More than 50 to 60 species of birds uh, we have recorded in these restored areas. So it is it is proving to be a uh, win-win situation as a, and a great initiative. And it doesn't take, uh, you know, it, it's not rocket science. It's something very simple. If people are convinced, it can be done. And uh, there are many other villages that have seen the work that we have done in Panakpur and they have approached us uh, requesting for our help in doing similar work in their areas also. So I see a great future. So in terms of community work, you also have a project called the Rural Medical Outreach Program. So could you just talk about what this project is about? So... Of all the work that we do with the local communities, Rural Medical Outreach Program is, uh, this This was the first uh, initiative we started in Corbett Tiger Reserve way back in 1995. Uh, when we realized that, you know, if we have to involve the local communities, we have to look at their uh, primary needs and ensure that they are able to have access to good uh, primary health care and, you know, other facilities that are there. So we initiated the Rural Medical Outreach Program where uh, we we employed a doctor, a health worker, we deployed a mobile medical van, and we identified villages where this van can go, uh, you know, reach out uh, to each village every week and, uh, you know, address the primary health care issues of the local community there. Uh, we dispense medicines. We, uh, you know, also refer some patients to uh, hire uh, some hospitals in that area to require higher medical treatment. So all this is done and this this has created a, a feeling of trust, uh, you know, among the local communities and they look at the Corbett Foundation as an NGO that works for them and not against them. Because many of the times uh, people think that wildlife NGOs are always anti-people, uh, which is not true at all because most of the NGOs that I know of are working alongside local communities to a large extent. And uh, so having this uh, medical program has been of great help to us uh, in creating inroads in uh, many areas like Corbett Tiger Reserve. We also did this in Kutch earlier and then we uh, did on a long, for a long time in Madhya Pradesh as well in Kana and Bangalore. So it has been a great program and it's great success. So what are some other other research and conservation projects which the Corporate Foundation is involved with? So there are many research projects that we have done so far. However, uh, one thing that I would certainly like to mention here is the uh, deploying of satellite uh, tags in, in some of the birds uh, in Gujarat that we did with the Gujarat Forest Department. I think that is a very... Uh, very good program and we're really proud of this partnership with the Gujarat Forest Department. Uh, almost uh, 12 uh, laser floricans and, you know, a lot of vultures 
a lot of cranes, uh, birds of prey have been tagged. So more than 40 uh, individuals of different species uh, have been uh, tagged. And uh, we have also published uh, papers uh, on, the, on the basis of the uh, analysis that was done on how where they are gone and how they are visited. So their migratory routes and everything. It has it has uh, greatly added to the information uh, that that sometimes is lacking in in uh, when we talk of uh, conservation you know planning of conservation programs. For example, one of the lesser floricum females that we had tagged under this project, uh, we found it had died on its return journey from uh, from Telangana to Velavar National Park. Uh, it died in somewhere in Maharashtra, in between Gachiruli and Chandrapur. So that, that's, that's the first documented death of a lesser floricum that died due to collision with the power lines. So such kind of research always helps in better understanding how uh, these critically endangered species live, what are the threats uh, throughout their uh, you know, migratory paths, because we may uh, conserve their breeding areas. However, when it goes to other areas uh, traveling hundreds of kilometers, uh, it takes several stops. So we don't know where exactly it stops and you know what are the kind of habitat that it prefers, what it eats and what are the kind of challenges that it faces uh, throughout its migratory journey. So having a data, a long-term data on something like this will definitely be of uh, help in uh, you know planning conservation initiatives of these birds and many other species. So what are some of the most prominent challenges you face at a government foundation? The biggest issue, uh, Anish, uh, not only us, but I'm sure many other uh, NGOs would face is a shortage of uh, funding resources. Now, when we look at uh, conservation interventions, uh, it must be understood that the conservation interventions need long-term support. Now, supporting something for a short duration of one year, two years, sometimes may not help. Uh, you know, unless you have a long-term commitment, it, it doesn't really help and doesn't really uh, get the kind of desired results that we always uh, aim for. Uh, example, if I take uh, restoration work that Corbett Foundation has started in a big way in Central Indian landscape. Now, we have taken up uh, restoration of degraded forest areas in uh, a corridor, very, very important corridor between Bandhava Tiger Reserve and Sanjay Dugri Tiger Reserve. Now, these areas are very critical for uh, free movement of tigers. And uh, unless you have these areas uh, secured with good forest, with uh, good for uh, good species that can feed the local, uh, the, the wild prey of the tigers, it would be difficult to imagine a future for tigers a long-term future for tigers in this area. So uh, the dependency on the local community of, of the local community on these areas is tremendous. So there are many areas where you can see that there are completely devoid of trees, completely devoid of any kind of vegetation, although they are forest, technically forest areas. So we have taken up upon ourselves to identify such areas along with the local forest department and uh, you know uh, approach uh, various uh, companies uh, funding agencies uh, and companies who, who, you know, under their CSR commitments, they they have come forward uh, very kindly to support this work. So 
the challenge that we face is uh, sometimes it's difficult to convince uh, our supporters that we need a long term commitment uh, a short term commitment may not help because unless we take care of such restoration work for a period of 5 to 7 years it would be, it would be very difficult to uh, you know see the kind of success that we would expect uh, but i mean yeah sometimes we are successful in convincing uh, companies on this aspect sometimes we are not uh, there are certain areas where uh, we face challenges uh, companies would expect that if we are investing in certain uh, conservation uh, say tiger conservation or some ex- any species conservation uh, what would be the increase in number of uh, individuals of the species in the next two years now this is something that no conservation ngo can really promise and you know say with conviction that okay because you have done this in the next two years this is what will happen unless you have a capital building program so there are certain things that uh, we have to understand that conservation doesn't work uh, you know in in a way that uh, the corporate sector would like it to work so it it's it's a slow process and we have to we have to uh, go to the basics and look at what exactly has to be done in order to uh, protect the particular species and you know implement a conservation program so how can individuals contribute to the corporate foundation well uh, the two main uh, ways that individuals can contribute number one is of course every individual has a set of skills uh, that he or she can uh, you know uh, offer to conservation ngos for example if somebody is good in uh, you know accounts they can help out with uh you know creating some kind of a uh, mi system for accounts if somebody is good in uh in artworks then they can help out in developing the websites or creating uh resource material that will be appealing to the local communities so that a message of conservation reaches out to more number of people very effectively uh there can be n number of uh, such skills uh so if somebody can offer their time for a period of 8 days or 10 days and 15 days in a year uh, that would be that would be really helpful i mean without expecting that uh, you would get an opportunity to you know go for safaris and uh, go for uh, photography expeditions and all because conservation is something very different from going on wildlife safaris and many times the the requests that i get that okay i want to be a part of this uh, you know volunteer my time but then at the end of it there is always an expectation that okay we can go out on photography trips and all which is not always possible so <coughs> if somebody wants to uh, genuinely help there are ways that uh, you know organizations can work out uh, mutually agreeable uh, programs that the person who involves himself or herself will also again uh, satisfaction of being a part of the conservation work at the same time the organization that involves them also uh, gets the work done that that they have you know involved that person for the other thing that a person individual can do is if possible uh, whatever little uh, you know financial help you can uh, provide or you can uh, say uh, facilitate through your contacts that would be a great help even even 
you know, even a small amount can make a huge difference. It doesn't have to be in lakhs and crores. Even, even a few thousand rupees dedicated for a particular cause can be very, very effective. So, that's If all. you enjoyed this episode of the uh, That was the final question podcast, for this interview. Please Thank you do so much subscribe and share with your Thank friends. Thank you, Anish. It was a pleasure talking to you. All the best.